0: Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church, of parable. Alright, we continue today to look at 1 Timothy and uh, well as the Gospel of Luke in chapter 17. The words of Scripture will be there on your screen, uh, but also you may choose to follow in your own Bible or uh, iPad or whatever device you choose. Uh, beginning with 1 Timothy 2, uh, and then we'll turn to Luke to Luke, to Luke 17. Hear these words of Scripture. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable on the side of God our Savior, who desires that everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. And for this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. And from Luke 17, here are these words of Scripture. So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who's just come in from plowing or tending the sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say, prepare supper for me, put on your apron, serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? And so you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done only what we ought to have done let us may god bless our reading of the holy scriptures and let us say together amen will you join me in a spirit of prayer yes it is god that we ask for your blessing today as we turn our attention to these ancient words words that were crafted so many centuries ago cared for across communities around the world inspired by your spirit that we hold these words as as holy and set apart we pray that in reading them and meditating on them, you would speak to us, just as you have spoken to countless other Christians before us. This is our hope and our prayer as we gather today. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The very first time that I ever stepped on a commercial airplane was the summer of 2005, which would have been the summer following my sophomore year in college. I had never flown on a big plane before, didn't know anything about that at all, and so my parents and Jill drove me to Memphis International Airport where I boarded a plane for Budapest, Hungary. Right? Maybe that was a little over overkill in terms of my first flight ever. Jill and I were, like many undergraduate students, allowed opportunities to travel internationally. We received some funding to get credits to do studies overseas. And so in the summer of 2005, I went on a trip uh, to Hungary, which led me to Romania to join a group from Habitat for Humanity uh, to work on houses there for eight or ten days. Uh, I knew nothing about flying, knew nothing about passports, about changing planes. It was all incredibly new to me and incredibly anxiety-inducing, very afraid of how all that would work and come together. I remember getting to Hungary, and the group that I was supposed to meet, they were at dinner, and I couldn't find them. Uh, They weren't at the hotel. They weren't at the restaurant I thought they were going to be at. Uh, And I just tell you, a kid from rural Arkansas in a big city like Budapest, Hungary, with no English, I thought that was the end, you know, that I might not ever see my parents or my family or Jill again. Uh, But things came together, and it was a wonderful trip. I went there as as sort of a, you know, a a spiritual pilgrimage, hoping to learn something about myself or learn something about God. Went there, of course, to serve the people who were in need. During the work day, we worked all day, as you do, work building houses. We were doing uh, framing as well as some stucco, and, and so we worked very hard, really enjoyed that. In the evenings, we had some free time. This was a small village in rural Romania, and so I would often walk around and explore the city, explore the surrounding area. I remember one day coming upon uh, this little bitty church. Uh, there was a church there on this off-beaten road. Uh, it was smaller probably than our chapel. It may have set 20 or 30 people, uh, but the doors were unlocked. And so I let myself in, and I remember sitting in this uh, very old Romanian Baptist church, sitting there in the back pew, just sort of wondering, what am I doing here? What is God doing here? What does this all mean? And there on the wall, there were words inscribed into the wood, And I couldn't read them, but I can make out the scripture reference. Uh, And the scripture reference came from 1 John four eight. First 1 John 4.8. Do you know what it says in 1 John 4.8? It says, God is love. God is love. And that's what was inscribed there on the wall in that Romanian church. And I underlined it in my little pocket Bible that I was carrying with me there in Romania. And I remember putting a star by it and noting where I read it. And I still have that in my my office even today. And think about uh, the confidence and the joy that that sort of gave me. A few days later, we were able to visit this uh, hillside Greek Orthodox Church. It's a very old building. It wasn't in great shape like we might think about maintaining an ancient structure, Uh, but it was a a building that had clearly been loved and and where it had been used for a lot of uh, important moments of worship and prayer and celebration. And so we got to tour the inside, and there were these icons and these crosses and these decorations. Just a really incredible moment. And then these ladies came for their midday prayer, And of course, they didn't speak English, but they greeted us warmly and graciously and welcomed us into their church, and that was a really inspiring thing. I don't know if you've had the chance maybe to go to church outside of the United States or to see the church at work in a different part of the world. It's easy to sort of kind of fall into our own trap if we're raised in a particular church or raised in a particular denomination or if we're longtime members of one church that we can kind of have a narrow view, right, that this is church, this is how church works, this is how church always is. But it's really good to be reminded sometimes uh, that church is at work all across the world, that God is at work in churches all across the world in different times and different places of different sizes and different shapes, and that they're all doing uh, different sorts of ministry, but important in their own context, all worshiping and seeking to follow and worship Jesus. Today is a special day in our, our church calendar, World Communion Sunday. And so we're going to think a little bit about and talk a little bit about the work of the church across the world, not just here in our local context, but around the globe. And we're going to do that partly through the lens of this letter, 1 Timothy. We started reading 1 Timothy last week a little bit. I'll remind you some of the context. When we think about 1 Timothy, we're thinking about the Apostle Paul writing to his young, uh, his young followers, right? Those who are working under him, who are seeking to replicate and to follow in his ministry, and so we think Paul's ministry began pretty early after, right, the, the, the gospel stories, right? We think about the 30s and 40s, and Paul at work up into the 50s and 60s. So maybe later in his life, he's writing to those who he knows will, will continue on this work. And one of the people that he's writing to is Timothy. Right? So Timothy is a young pastor, a young missionary, if you want to think about it in those terms, kind of like Paul. And so Paul's giving him some instructions about what his life should look like and what it will be like to lead the church. And so today we read from First Timothy in the second chapter. Uh, notice what Paul says to Timothy when he describes to him what his work will be like and what things should be important in his ministry. First of all, I urge you with supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving, be made for everyone. Well, that seems kind of obvious, right? When Paul writes to Timothy and he writes about the spiritual life and spiritual leadership, the first thing that he tells Timothy here in chapter 2 is, you ought to pray, right? You, Timothy, ought to pray. This ought to be something that you do every day, regularly. This ought to be one of the foundational elements to your life and to your ministry. I urge you to offer supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. I urge you to pray. Pray. Now, if there's one sort of element in that that maybe is a little bit of a surprise to us, or I want to highlight for you today, is that second part. Supplications, prayers, and thanksgivings for everyone. For everyone. Now, here we begin to to get a kind of sense of the scope of Paul's vision, not only for his life and ministry, but now for Timothy and for his life and ministry. And so while Timothy has been charged to care for a particular church, the church in Ephesus, Paul asks him, requests of him, says to him, you ought to pray for everyone. Now we know from reading the Bible that the beginning of the Christian movement was really an, a sort of inner Jewish debate, right? Jesus was Jewish, his apostles were Jewish. It was, it was Jews early on who were worshiping and following Jesus. And then that ministry begins to grow through people like Paul, who sense that the gospel, the, the news of Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, is not only for Jews but really is for Gentiles as well. And so here we read from Paul. We can see in Paul's thinking, you ought to pray for everyone, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. In fact, you ought to pray for people who aren't even a part of your church, who aren't a part of your church community. You ought to pray for non-believers, as we might say it today. And then listen to what Paul says next. He says, you ought to pray for everyone, including kings and those who are in high positions or those who have a for- authority, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. In all godliness and dignity. I want you to notice just how carefully Paul is kind of threading this needle. Because what we know about the early Christian church is it was a minority movement. It did not have a lot of power, it did not have a lot of resources. We're talking about a small group of people, maybe a few dozen people, meeting in someone's home. And we know that in the, in the broader sort of Roman world that, that Christianity was just one of many religious options, right? There were people worshiping in all sorts of different ways. We might call them a pagan religions, Greek traditions, Roman traditions. All these different religions are being practiced. Christianity is one of many. And so what Paul concludes is you ought to pray for everyone, including those in authority, even if they're not Christians, We pray for those who are in authority so that we can lead a peaceable life with dignity in a way that's fitting before God. Paul's being really crafty here, right? Like part of your mission and calls in early church is to care for everyone, those outside of the church, but it's also to be good citizens, to remain in a good relationship with those in authority and those in power so that the church can be sustained and can thrive. When we read Paul's letters, both the letters to the churches as well as these letters to Timothy, we get a sense of just how fragile, just how fragile early Christianity was. Very few resources, no political power, no economic power. These are just kind of a random collection of people gathered to worship and follow Jesus. But, but Paul says you're going to have to do this carefully, including praying for everyone. That the peace of the broader world, that the peace of the broader community, that the, the leadership that's allowing us to thrive, that's going to be really important here in early Christianity. And so I think Paul here is sincere, but he's also wise, right? For the church to succeed, it needs to be concerned about everyone, not just the people within its own doors or its own walls. As I mentioned, today is World Communion Sunday. There are six Sundays in the United Methodist Church that are set apart for special recognition Uh, Some churches I've been involved in have have really uh, given those a lot of attention and emphasis. Some churches do not. Some churches choose some over the others. They include things like Native American Ministry Sunday, UMCOR Sunday, Human Relations Day, and then today is World Communion Sunday. And so the idea would be that United Methodist Churches all across the world are celebrating in Holy Communion and worship today. And as we do so, we are mindful that we are not just one church in one place, that we are one church in many different places. And not just different locations, but different cultures and different languages. And yet we share this this common form of worship, including participating in Holy Communion. And so there in your bulletin, there's a little bit of an insert. You can read more about some of the church's international ministries and efforts. You can give to those if that's something that you would like to do. Uh, But it's a day to remember uh, that our church is not just our local congregation. And as a way of doing that, I thought I would share with you some stories Uh, to help highlight the work of the United Methodist Church within and beyond the United States. So in the United States, we have about 7 million United Methodists. That's the bulk of our membership. But beyond the United States, there are about another 6 million United Methodists. So about half of our members are in the United States and about half are beyond. And about 5 million of those are in Africa. So the United States is uh, one large part of the United Methodist Church, but by no means is it the only part. In reaching out uh, to others in preparation for today's sermon, one person that I spoke with is Andrew Thompson. Uh, Andrew is, of course, a pastor at First Methodist in Springdale. He's the son of Bob and Charlotte, the brother to Robert. He is one of your uh, church members who grew up to be a pastor. Andrew's involved in a few international uh, commitments. He's got partnerships in places like Cuba and Peru, and these pictures come from Kenya. And so Andrew and his church in Springdale at First Church, they have raised money uh, just this year, to help drill a new freshwater well in the slums of Kenya. And so you can see there this major uh, well, this, this drilling rig is there, uh, and you can see the people gathered around it. Those include, on the right-hand side, the Methodist pastor there in Nairobi, Kenya, who is being funded in part from the work that Andrew and others are doing there in Springdale. It's Just a reminder that the work we share in as United Methodists is not, it's not located only within our own church, but it goes well beyond that. And it's not only just the gifts we give and the offering that are shared at a global level, it includes actual partnerships with congregations on the ground from Arkansas to Kenya. Another one I wanted to highlight with you was this gentleman in his church in Fort Smith, uh, Reverend Steve Porch. Uh, You can see him on the left there in the gray long sleeve shirt, and then on the right, he's uh, kind of in the middle of that semicircle. Uh, Steve is a great guy. I got to know him in Fort Smith. He's a lifelong United Methodist pastor, just a uh, just a man of the people, loves to hunt and fish, uh, worships the Dallas Cowboys right below Jesus Christ. I know Steve well. He's a fun dude. Uh, but one thing I didn't know was that he had got involved in international ministry. And this summer he went to Tanzania. And you can see above his head there the cross and flame, uh, just like we have here at our church there in rural Tanzania. And so Steve wrote me a long email explaining all that they've done there. He, he started by supporting students from Tanzania, financially supporting them. And then later, he was invited to visit Tanzania. This is his second trip. And see he was there doing a few days of teaching, uh, teaching some theology, doing some seminars. He got to help with services of baptism. And, of course, you see a picture there where he's celebrating Holy Communion. And he tells me a lot more about the churches and where they're at and what they do and the people that he's met there. It's really inspiring stuff and steve says this he says the umc is growing and thriving in tanzania despite many obstacles they do not have so many of the things we take for granted and yet their faith is incredibly strong and then steve said he would love to come to our church and talk to more about what he's seen and done there so this is people from arkansas connecting with people in tanzania united methodist sharing in ministry there on the ground much needed ministry the last story i'll share with you is this one these are folks i know from north carolina from myers park umc in charlotte uh, they just this week, as I was preparing this sermon, they just this week uh, went, to Poland, went to Poland to partner with the United Methodist Churches there. Poland, of course, shares a border with uh, Ukraine, and so there are Ukrainian refugees flooding into Poland. And the Methodists are some of the people there who are working to serve those in need. And so the gentleman with the clergy collar on, his name is James Howe, he wrote a, a little update this week online. He said, we've had a wonderful time, including leading and worship and preaching. After church, we went to the train stations to purchase thousands of dollars worth of food and supplies for the Ukrainian refugees. This is church and the United Methodist Church at its best. Now, I want you to think a little bit with me about how much the church has changed relative to Paul's time. His writing to a, a very small group of people with very few resources, with very few power, with very few uh, elements of power—economic or political power. To look at the way the church is at work in the world today, this global network of not just Methodists, but Methodists, of, of churches around the world of working to care for those who stand in need and working to share the good news of the gospel. I remember when I was a kid, and you may remember this language a little bit as well, we used to talk about kind of the missions to the lost people, the lost tribes, the unchurched people. And while that's still true to some degree, globalization has changed things, Right? We're more connected now than ever, and so churches in Arkansas or in North Carolina can support churches in Kenya or Tanzania or in Poland. It's really a remarkable gift that we've been given to share in ministry in this way. As Paul continues writing to Timothy here, and he's talking about the need to pray for everyone, he really finally drills down on the theological impetus behind that message. God is our Savior who desires everyone to be saved God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth there is one God there is one mediator between God and humankind and that is Christ Jesus now this is kind of the whole mission behind Paul's life and work right that what began in in Abram who became Abraham what began in the people of Israel, they were called to be a blessing to all the families of the world. And that, and that work took some weird turns and, and bumps and bruises, right? We have the stories in the Old Testament. But, but the point of that, the point of the work in Israel was that, that God would eventually care for everyone. And so Paul concludes that that time has come in Jesus Christ, that what began in Israel has now been expanded. God doesn't just desire that Jews would be saved or the people of Israel would be saved Paul says so clearly, God desires that everyone would be saved. And God's way of accomplishing this is through the one mediator who is Christ Jesus. In other words, there aren't different ways for different groups of people to be saved. There aren't different ways for different groups of people to come to know God. The way to know God, no matter your culture or your background or your language or the color of your skin, no matter where you are in the world, the way that you know God is through Christ Jesus. And so Paul tells Timothy that like, this is our greatest joy, this is our greatest calling to spread this gospel, this hope to everyone, that there's nowhere in the world who shouldn't know, who shouldn't hear, who shouldn't understand what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. And friends, I'll remind you that we very much stand within that tradition, right? That most of us did not grow up Jewish, we were not born Jewish, we were among the Gentiles who Paul names, right? That that the Gentiles would come to know and love Jesus. Not only have we been recipients of this good news, but now we've been charged as those who get to carry this good news forward. God is for everyone in Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator for the sake of the whole world. There is no one who stands beyond God's grace and love because of their cultural background or their identity. Today on World Communion Sunday, we are thinking about all of the people who join us in celebrating communion, specifically United Methodists, but not limited to United Methodists, other Christians, other Christian traditions around the world who worship as we do today. This is a photo that was taken in Guatemala. You can see if you look really carefully at the top, that green building, that bright green, neon green is the local Methodist church, the Iglesia de Methodista. And again, on the cover of that building, the front of that building, is the red cross and flame that we know so well in very rural Guatemala. I had a chance to go on a couple of these trips. We were medical and dental mission trips. So we were going up into the hills, the mountains, providing medical care and really much needed dental care. Most people there did not have any access to dental care. Of course, I'm not a doctor or a nurse or a dentist, and so you may be thinking, well, what good were you, Dane? Well, it's a good good question you ask, right? Well, I was there providing pastoral leadership and spiritual care, including one of the things we got to do was celebrate Holy Communion. And once we decided to celebrate Communion, that included a few logistics, right? It made sense that we would use tortillas, tortillas as the bread, right? That was available to us. We weren't really sure where we would get Grape juice, and it turns out grape juice is not easily found in rural Guatemala. And so we settled for this very unpleasant grape-flavored drink. Uh, I don't, you know, it wasn't really juice or wine, but we made do that day. A really powerful moment that we celebrated communion. We had a coffee cup of this grape juice. We had a stack of tortillas, tortillas, and we, and we blessed them just like we will here today. And I remember as I prayed those words of blessing and, and, and asked that God would use that, that, that uh, bread and that juice that someone was translating beside me in Spanish, saying those same words over again so that the local people could understand them. When we come to the table, today particularly, we remember that this is not our table, it's not First United Methodist table, it's not even a Methodist table. This is the Lord's table. And as we say when we celebrate communion, the Lord invites all. And when we say all, we mean all. The Lord welcomes all. All. Christ Jesus is the one mediator, and in sharing this bread and this cup, we share in this table with Christians, with United Methodists all around the globe. Today as we come, let us remember what a joy it is to come to the table, but let us also be reminded that it is not our table. It is Christ's table, and all are welcome here. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.